0: John, that first chapter, and I don't know if you've been like me, but I'm week in, week out, just surprised by how much is packed in to these just short verses. Uh, I kept thinking, this is, we're going to just breeze through this. No, man, it's there's just so much that we see, and we, last week and this week, we've been seeing these specific titles about who Jesus is that teach us um, about his authority, teach about his person, uh, teach about his ministry. And titles, they do, they they tell us a little bit about um, someone. And we talked about that last week, how I've had a lot of titles, or maybe nicknames, really, more than titles over the years, from that of Super Dave to uh, Buffalo to all sorts of strange things. Um, but they tell a little bit about us. And, and then Titles do—they um, tell a position, authority of someone. Sometimes we meet someone, and then you find out they're a CEO, and you're like, "Oh, a CFO," or the, maybe they're a medical doctor, or maybe they have their PhD, and you're like, "Wow, I didn't know you—you you had a doctorate," and you're, "I'm going to start calling you Doctor So and So." Um, and the titles are significant, and here they're just packed in these titles. Last week we had three, and this week, depending on how you break it down, we have at least five titles of Christ that speak different things about who, who he is. And in that, uh, I think that they speak about the unsearchable depths and the riches of Jesus Christ that we can delve into and that we're going to continue to as we walk through John. So it's good to know us. And as we, we know him more, uh, may our faith in him deepen or maybe be awakened in us as we begin these foundational steps as we walk through John. Just as we was second to one of my, my dearest friends who I've known for a long time and um, knew him from college, he was one of my roommates. And we were talking about John. And he said, I, I, I never preached to John because there's it, just so, there's, I was just timid, intimidated by it. And he's one of the smartest guys I know. And I was like, oh, I'm question myself a little bit by digging in. But this is just such a good, good gospel to walk through. So today, the, the first title that we're going to see of Jesus. Is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. So we're going to see that as we begin in verse 43. Let me read 43 and 44. This is the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So it says the next day, again, we've been having this day after day after day kind of account of things with Jesus from with John the Baptist and then with Jesus and last week we talked about the, the day before this where John the Baptist is with two disciples and Jesus comes and he says behold the lamb of God and those disciples they go after Jesus and Jesus says him, what are you what are you seeking and they're like well where are you where are you staying and he says well come and see um and they go and they follow Jesus and they They must have had just amazing question and answer and time and fellowship with Jesus, who just opens the door wide open for them to come in. And then after that, um, Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon, who would be Peter. Simon Peter says, come, we found the Messiah. Come meet Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus sees um, Simon right away and says, you are uh, going to be called Cephas or Peter, the rock. So we see all these things, and then the next day, this is the next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee, and Galilee would be north um, of Samaria and west of the Sea of Galilee, and they head there, and Jesus goes right away, and he finds Philip. He was on a mission there, and he finds Philip, and Philip is one of the 12 disciples. We see that in the other Gospels as well, and he goes to Philip, and he has this call, follow me, follow me. And Philip, we see Philip, Andrew, and Peter. They're all from the same hometown of Bethsaida, and you might remember a way back uh, a long time ago when we walked through Mark that Andrew and Peter there, it says in Mark that their home is in Capernaum. You might think, well, is that a contradiction? Well, no, Um, it's kind of a little bit like... um, Kelly, she was born in Milwaukee, so she might say, where are you from? Well, I was born in Milwaukee, but um, grew up in St. Louis. And, you know, there's, we all have our stories of where we are from. Um, so Bethsaida was probably the place where they were born, but then later moved to Capernaum. Um, so we have this, and we have Jesus seek out and search and find Philip. And we don't have all of the encounter, in-depth encounter with Philip, but he must very quickly believe that this is indeed the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And what does Philip do right away? Verse 45 says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So, Philip, right off, what does he do? He goes to find his friend, Nathaniel, and bring him to Jesus. And now, Nathaniel, he's probably also one of the 12 in the other Gospels. We don't have Nathaniel by name, but we have always, by the description of, of the disciples, we have Philip, and then, then we have Bartholomew. And many think that um, Bartholomew was also um, Nathaniel, so they had Probably a two names. So we're guessing that most likely Nathaniel, we can't know for sure, was one of the 12, uh, maybe also named Bartholomew. So he goes and finds him. And he says, hey, we found him, the one that Moses uh, in the law talks about and the prophets wrote about. So what's he getting at here? Well, the law would have been that those first five books in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and the Pentateuch speaks and points to, again, that Messiah to come, that Savior to come, the one who would be King, an everlasting King. So some of these verses we might think about when we think about those first five books and how they point us to the coming of Jesus. One of those is at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and this is where... um, the serpent has already deceived Adam and Eve. And Jesus, are not Jesus, but God the Father, he places curses upon um, the serpent. And one of the things he says is this in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is saying that at one time there will be an offspring from Eve uh, that will defeat you. Uh, and... There is the defeat of Satan. And some point to this verse, and they give it a really fancy name. So if you want to really, uh, sound really smart, it's um, the Proto-Evangelium, which is the first announcement of the gospel. Someone look at that and say, this is the first announcement that Satan, indeed, would be defeated. An offspring um, from Eve, one would come and defeat um, Satan. There would be a reversal of the curses because of the fall of sin, because of sin. And then Genesis, you think of Genesis 22, 17 through 18, where Abraham, he's given these promises from God and that through him, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. This is one of those promises to Abraham in Genesis 22, 17 through 18. that says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that are on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of of his enemies and your offspring shall uh, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So there's this promise of one to come a seed through Abraham who all through him all of the nations will be blessed, Again, pointing ultimately really to Jesus. Think of Genesis 49:10, there's a promise to Judah that through Judah that there would always be a king. This is Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tributes come to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So we have this king, this forever king spoken of. and And we know that Jesus, he's from the line of Judah, fulfilling these prophecies of this coming king. And there's other verses that we could go to throughout the first five books through the law then he also says he's fulfilling what the prophets have said and there's so many prophecies that Jesus fulfills just even just in the book of Isaiah often there are verses that we read at Christmas because they point to Jesus and we love to look at them I love looking at them and even today think of Isaiah 7 verse 14 this is therefore The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember, Emmanuel means God with us. We know that Jesus, born to Mary, a virgin, God with us. And then Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. I'm just going to read verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the prophets pointing to this king to come. Then Isaiah, all of Isaiah 53 speaks of this suffering servant who will die for the sins of his people. We've read over the last few weeks that several passages from Isaiah 53. And then Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth, For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Again, this prophecy that one would be born in Bethlehem, who would be the Messiah, who would be the king. And we know Jesus indeed was born in Bethlehem. And Zechariah 9 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Behold, uh, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey and a colt the foal of a donkey remember jesus he will fulfill this when he enters into jerusalem on that palm sunday fulfilling these things so here we have philip telling nathaniel we found the one that's f- going to fulfill all of these things and we think of jesus as well he also affirmed that indeed he was the one who came to fulfill. Think of Matthew 5, verse 17, where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus came to one to fulfill all of these things. And then in Luke 24, 25 through 27, if you remember Jesus, after he died and rose again, and he appeared to the disciples, a couple of disciples who were on their way to, on the road to Emmaus. And they're really confused that that Jesus died. And they're like, what is going on? And Jesus appears. They don't know it's Jesus at the time. And they're speaking with him. And Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Again, we see this. Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, uh, to have been there on that day of having Jesus be your professor and walk through and tell you, this is how Jesus fulfilled all these things, And then Jesus, of course, revealed himself to those disciples. So, so Philip, again he says, "We found him. We found this one. We found the Messiah. Messiah is one means anointed one." And often in the Old Testament, ones who, the one who was anointed would have been a king set apart. So the anointed one, the King Jesus, King Jesus has come. The ruler, the one who would rightly rule and reverse the effects of sin, the one who came to to rule rightly where Adam failed, the Messiah, the anointed one has come. And it says that he is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And as we look at that, I I can't help but think about the humanity of Jesus. That Jesus, he, he... is one who was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. So he had a hometown. He was really lived. He was fully man and fully God. He had roots. (laughs) He had a hometown. And it wasn't apparently a really glamorous place. Um, As we see that there's some mockery that happens because of Nazareth. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But an ordinary place. And he was linked to his dad, son of Joseph. And we know that Joseph um, was not his biological father. He was born of Mary um, through the miracle of the Holy Spirit that he was adopted in. So Joseph, he's connected with his dad, his adopted dad. And there's a humanity um, seen here. And last names, uh, we, people didn't really have last names. They're connected to places and, and their heritage, and we see that. So we see Jesus and his humanity and he's was one born, laid, and placed in a feeding trough. One who was raised in an ordinary place. And he came to ordinary. He came to the ordinary like us. He came to the sick, the needy, to sinners. He came for all of us. And we see that in the humanity of Christ. And we talked about that a, a few weeks ago, how when people saw Jesus, they wouldn't have seen him and immediately thought, ah, This one must be the son of God. uh, Because it it wasn't as if Jesus, like a lot of old paintings, remember, they have a halo around Jesus or a beam of light. There was nothing in just seeing him that they would know. But as they saw him and heard him teach, and they see the miracles and the signs that we're going to see in the coming weeks, then they knew that he was fully, fully man. And Nathaniel, um, apparently, um, he wasn't a really big fan of Nazareth. (laughs) Because he says... Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, we don't know exactly um, why he had such a disdain. Maybe it's because it was a small, rather insignificant place. Maybe it's because he knew of the prophecy that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. He's like, no, he's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from there. And I, I don't know exactly. Maybe it would be like if you said, hey, you should come to Derby Hill. Come and meet my pastor. He's from Greeley. And they say, from Greeley? Man, that place stinks, man. That's a cow town. Another good that comes from Greeley. man. so I, I don't know all that's going on there, but there's a, there's a little bit of skepticism, you could say in, in uh, Nathaniel. He's a skeptic, and he's honest about it, though. And then he goes to investigate to see if Philip is off his rocker or if that these things are true. Um, so we see Philip say, "Come and see." So there's this huge invitation come and see. Just as Jesus had said to them, he said, come and see. The open door, the wide open, come and see. It's a little bit, it reminds me of of Psalm 34 that says, oh taste, Psalm 34 verse 8 that says, oh taste and see that the Lord is good. There's this invitation, come and see, this inviting in. I think I've mentioned before, family. We love to go to Sam's and get those samples to taste and see. And even yesterday, they got us to eat some chocolate and some stuff. Rachel and I went, and and but but it's that idea. You taste a little bit, and you're like, ah, oh, you're drawn in. So you said, come and see, just see. Spend ten minutes with Jesus. I, I could just imagine the conversation, and you'll know, you'll know. So taste is in this invitation, and. And uh, we need to be those type of inviting people to invite people into our lives. Uh, and they'll see that our love for God's word and love for Jesus and love for people. And they'll be drawn in or invite them in that they can know, know that they're, they're loved and that we really do follow Jesus. So taste and see uh, inviting in. So Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And then verse 47 through 49, we see that Jesus, he's the son of God and king of Israel. A couple titles here. So we continue, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So Jesus sees Nathanael coming, and he, he proclaims this huge say an encouragement a compliment a statement about who he is and says you're an israelite indeed in whom there's no no deceit and you might have thought nathaniel might have thought with his initial blunt but honest comment apparently he might have thought jesus would have said something like i heard what you said over there Um, you're from Bethsaida, that's a pretty small place too, you know, but that's not what Jesus says, but he he's, has this strong statement, and you wonder a little bit what was going on between Jesus and Nathanael a bit in this in this give and take here, and he calls him an Israelite, and one of the, where there's no deceit, it's possible in just a little bit, Jesus is going to connect himself with um, a story in the Old Testament where Jacob's uh, of the Old Testament is out in the desert, and he sees this dream with this ladder going up to heaven. And um, we know of Jacob that he was one who later God renamed Jacob Israel. Uh, and then Jacob was also one who was kind of deceitful. He tricked Esau to get the birthright and the blessing. And so maybe there's a little bit of this going on here. But Nathaniel, he's demonstrating, even in his bluntness, that there's no duplicity in him. He's willing to go seek and find out and investigate who Jesus is. And there's this statement about him. And then Nathaniel says, how do you you know me? How do you know me? So Nathaniel's a little bit awestruck. He's wondering, how does this guy know me? And maybe even, I I feel like even the words that Jesus is saying strike something in in Nathaniel's heart. He's like, Jesus knows me. Uh, There's like almost things going on in the background a bit between um, Jesus and, Na- and Nathaniel, and then Jesus says, "Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you." Uh, so again, um, there is this declaration where Jesus is showing and demonstrating his uh, his divine insight, his divinity, that he has seen Nathaniel. He knows that he was under a fig tree, and he doesn't just know it, but he saw him there, and as he declares these things, Nathaniel is at awe, and it must be a miraculous thing that it was something that no one else could have known except for one who had divine insight, and Nathaniel quickly knows that this one must be the son of God, and we wonder again, what was going on with the fig tree and what was happening there? and Why was that so significant? Why did it cut to the heart of Nathaniel? We don't know for sure. It might have been that Nathaniel was under that fig tree, that he was praying uh, that God would hear his prayer and hear whatever his request was. Or maybe he was pr- praying for the Messiah to come and rescue his people under the fig tree. And, and Jesus' statement, he's saying, I'm fulfilling those things that you were I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but whatever it was, it cut to the heart of Nathaniel in such a way that he went quickly from being a skeptic to being a believer in in Jesus. And he declares, as we see in verse 49, that Nathaniel answers him, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel." Again, he went from saying nothing, come, nothing good's coming from Nazareth, but I'll come, I'll come, I'll check it out, to saying. You're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And as he says these things, he's again declaring that Jesus as that long-awaited Messiah that the Old Testament spoke about. um, That spoke about the one that would come who'd be the the Son of God. Think of some of those passages. One is 2 Samuel 7:14, or Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. This is one of those. Let me read Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. It says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So again, there's also a king of Zion, but also I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then the king of Israel. There's different passages we've already read from um, Zechariah 9.9 9 that spoke about a king to come. And then Zephaniah 3.15 that says, The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. So these prophecies of a king to come, and he's saying, you're that king. You're the one that we've been waiting for. I know it. Uh, so there's a, a deepening of, of faith that we see in these things. And then again, he says he's the son of God. And, and that title also points to the divinity of Christ, that Jesus indeed is, as John began at the very beginning, that Jesus is the word, the word that was with God, and the word that was God. And Nathaniel, he's declaring even more truth than he probably has any idea that he's declaring as he declares Jesus to be the Son of God. And throughout the Gospel of John, we see that relationship between God the Father and Jesus, God the Son. We'll see that throughout as we walk through John. And then finally, we have some final words of Jesus in verses 50 and 51 that Jesus, we see him declare himself as the Son of Man. We also see kind of an implied, it's not really a title, but one who's that connection between God and man. Uh, Maybe we might say the mediator, the ladder between God and man that we see in these few verses. So Jesus, verse 50, answers them, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? I just love that verse. Jesus says, Man, you have no idea. (laughs) You have no idea. It has only begun. There's so many amazing things that that you're going to see, so many signs that we're going to see that Jesus performs. And it says, it's just begun. It's just begun. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Again, this is one of those verses where you're like, what is Jesus saying here? And I think he's saying he's declaring himself to be that long-awaited Messiah, the son, son of man. And he's also the one that connects um, God to man, fulfilling this vision of Jacob. So here in this passage, he's pointing to a story from the Old Testament, one that um, any Jew, when he heard, would hear those words, would know exactly, ah, he's speaking of Jacob where Jacob was on the run from his brother Esau. If you remember, if you grew up um, learning some of these stories as a kid or uh, in your life, that Jacob, he um, tricks his brother and steals the birthright and the blessing, and Esau's not very happy about that, wants to kill Jacob. Jacob goes on the run, and in the wilderness, um, he's, he um, sleeps out in the wilderness, And he uses a stone for a pillow, so he must have been pretty tired. Or I'm sure they didn't have um, uh, really good memory foam pillows back then. So maybe a stone was just normal. I don't know. But he uses a, a, a stone for a pillow, and he has this dream. And this is the dream from Genesis 28, verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and to the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, ascending and descending. So he he sees this vision. And then when Jacob wakes up, he names the place Bethel, which means house of God. And he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And Jacob's journey, too, he's growing in his walk with his understanding of Yahweh, the one true God as well. And he encounters God here, and he's like, Yes, God was in this place. And then he says, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the ho- This is none other than the house of God, again, Bethel. And this is the gate of heaven. Um, so as we look at this, you think, well, what is Jesus referring to as far as when is this fulfilled? Is it at the transfiguration where, where Jesus reveals his glory and the voice of God from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Or maybe there's probably a more broader meaning of reference to all of the miracles and the teaching of Jesus that demonstrate that he is fully, truly the Son of God, fulfilling this dream of Jacob, and that Jesus, in the sense that he is that ladder between um, God and man, that he is Bethel, he is the true house of God, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. And as I was saying this, a verse that came to mind from John is John 14, 6, where Jesus says, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we see how Jesus connects uh, man uh, to God. And I think of 1 Timothy 2 5, that says, For there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So he's saying that he is that connection. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And then he, he declares that he is the Son of man. And we see in the Gospels that Jesus, when he often refers to himself, or more often than not, refers to himself as the Son of Man, if he gives himself a title. It's that of the Son of Man. And it's one of those things that I think each time I have to wrap my, my feeble mind around and think about it again each time. And I think when we think, first think about it, we think, oh, it probably speaks about his humanity, right? Son of Man. But actually, Jesus uses this as a, it's a veiled term to speak of him as being the Messiah, um, the one, the rescuer, the king to come. But it also speaks of his divinity, because it's pointing back to an Old Testament prophecy of Daniel that speaks of the Son of Man. Let me read that from Daniel chapter seven, verse 13 through 14. It says, "I saw in the night I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man." And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. So we have this son of man who comes and he's made king, and this kingdom is spoken of as one that's everlasting, and he has glory. And it's uh, this everlasting dominion over all peoples and language. So it's this one who is a king, but he's more than just man. He is—he's one who He's one who is divine. He is one who is truly God, the son of man. So Jesus is pointing to his divinity and also being the Messiah to come, the king, eternal king. And He's declaring himself to be son of man. To be the Messiah. So, as we walk through this chapter, it's taken us more weeks than I could have imagined, um, but we've learned a lot about Jesus that builds that foundation that John then goes and he uses these different miracles of Jesus and these different teachings of Jesus that we might believe and trust him. And let me just review, real quick, these little bullet points of who we've seen Jesus to be in these first 51 verses of John. You know that Jesus has always been in the beginning. He's the Word, the living Word. Jesus is and always has been with God the Father. They're distinct yet one. He's fully God. He's a creator of all things. He is life and light of all mankind. He's a light that shines into darkness. In His light, it can't be defeated. John the Baptist bore witness about Jesus and pointed to Jesus. And Jesus, we see, is greater than John the Baptist. He is, Jesus is the true light. He gives light to everyone. He was rejected by his own creation and by his own people. Through belief in Jesus, uh, we're given the right to become to be born again, to be adopted as, as children of God. Jesus became flesh. He became fully man. Jesus dwelt among us, truly lived, He humbled himself and served and died. We know that. Jesus showed the world the the full glory of God, the fullness of the glory of God. Jesus (laughs) is the unique and only Son of God. Jesus is full of grace, grace upon grace. Jesus is full of truth. So grace and truth are found in Jesus. They come together in Jesus. He's greater than Moses. Jesus is God and God makes God known. He makes the invisible God visible. Jesus is Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God, the chosen one. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He is all-knowing, knowing and seeing all things. He is a connection point, the ladder between God and man. He is the divine son of man, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. So he's all these things. So there's a great depth of the riches of Christ, as we learn in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, where Jesus, or where Paul speaks about Jesus and the unsearchable riches of Jesus, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that is who Christ is. And we're going to dig in and Find out there are unsearchable things. There's new things. There's amazing things that we're going to learn as we dig into the Gospel of John. These ancient words that bring new life to us today. Uh, last week, I mentioned how I started reading a book called Deeper by Dane Ortland that someone gave me, and this is what he said about the depth of Christ that um, read last week. He said this: Let me suggest that you consider the possibility. That your current mental idea of Jesus is just the tip of the iceberg. That there are wonder, wondrous depths to him. Realities about him still waiting your discovery. So think about that as we go through John. Have we unintentionally reduced him to a manageable, um, predictable proportions? Have we been looking to a junior varsity decaffeinated, one-dimensional Jesus of our own making. I love that. Sometimes we do that. A junior Varsity, decaffeinated, one-dimensional. I think he was describing me a little bit. No, i just <laughs> um, Jesus of his own making, thinking we're, looking at the, uh, thinking we're looking at the real Jesus. Have we snorkeled in the shallows thinking we've now hit the bottom of the Pacific? So saying there's more to know, there's more to learn, and as we dig in, we go to the depths of who Christ is. So um, we've just begun. And my prayer is that as we walk through this, that we'll know Jesus more and more as we walk through the Gospel of John. And that uh, my prayer is maybe, maybe that you begin to believe. Maybe that's where you're at, that first step of trusting in Jesus, or that your belief in Jesus will be strengthened, will be fueled, will be enriched, will grow. And that we'll be like the disciples who said to Jesus, To whom else will we go? To whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for...